Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we come into your house and into your presence, and we worship you. We praise you as the one true sovereign, the God of all nations, the creator, the sustainer, the author, and the finisher of life. You are our salvation. We worship you and we ask that you would reign supreme in this place tonight. That you would overwhelm our hearts that can be so prideful, so arrogant, so glorifying of self. That you would rid our hearts of those those sins. You would purify us and that you would transform our hearts and conform us to the likeness of your son Jesus. May we see his majesty here tonight for his glory, and for our blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. I'm Pastor Daniel, and it's a privilege at this point to open up the scriptures and hear a message from the Word of God. We're going on a journey right now through the prophet Isaiah, and the big idea throughout the whole series, which will take 12 weeks, is servanthood. Now, if you're here for the first time, then you think, wow, Isaiah's a big book, and you're right, it has 66 chapters in it, so how are we going to cover that in 12 weeks? Well, I mentioned last week, and I'll mention again today, we're not trying to go verse by verse through the book, that would be something that would take us maybe a lifetime to do on Sunday alone, but what we're trying to do is get a big picture of what this book is for. What, it, what, did God, what does God want to teach us through this wonderful book, and how does it fit into the entirety of Scripture? It's in the Old Testament, so a lot of times when we go to the Old Testament, there are a lot of gaps that we have to fill because we're a long way from there, and we're under a a new covenant, if you will. And so this is a fantastic book that shows us uh, the, the majesty of who God is, why we should worship Him. And as we're going to see from last week, this week, and a couple more weeks ahead, we're going to see why God is trustworthy. Today we're going to see that he's trustworthy because he is the master of all nations. We're covering chapters 13 through 23, and just to kind of catch you up a little bit before we get to 13, uh, the first week we talked about that in the first five chapters that we as people have a choice, either we're going to rebel against God or we will be a servant of God. And we saw that because Jesus humbled himself and served, we too can do the same thing. The second week we saw that uh, the great vision of Isaiah when he stood before the holy God that a servant is willing. And just like Isaiah was willing after seeing the majesty of God and what God did for him, we see also that Jesus was willing. And Jesus said, not my will be done, but yours. And Jesus said, send me. And he went. And because he did that, we can also be a willing servant. Last week we saw that a servant trusts in God. Trusting others, we saw, leads to destruction. When we don't trust God, it leads to destruction. But we saw last week that Jesus is trustworthy and that he is faithful. And we have every reason to trust him. This week we see the fourth reason, that God is the master of all nations. What this doesn't mean is that all nations recognize God as their creator. It doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that whatever religion or or way of life you choose to Uh, to to take, it doesn't mean that that's going to lead you to the same truth. What it does mean is this, that whether or not anyone recognizes God, He remains the one true Lord. 
It means that God has power over all nations, even if they reject Him, even if they designate something else or themselves as their authority or their own God. It means that there is one truth, one God, who is sovereign. There is one God who has authority over all nations. And it also means that the fate of every nation is in the hand or the hands of God. These 11 chapters, 13 through 23, expose that Israel has a choice to make. Okay, Israel, God's people, you, you're either going to choose to follow me and trust me, or you're going to choose to trust in other nations. And today we have that same choice that we must make, maybe even on a daily basis, as to whether we are going to trust in something or someone else, or whether or not we are going to trust in God. Eleven chapters, 13 to 23. I know it sounds like ten because they both end in three, but it's actual eleven. It used to bother me for a long time. These eleven chapters really drive home a point. They really drive home the point as to why you can't trust anything or anyone but God. God says, don't trust this nation or that nation or this nation or that nation. God says over and over with many different prophecies toward these nations that their fate is sealed. Israel, their fate is sealed in its destruction. Don't trust in them, but trust in God. Isaiah lists the nations that are surrounding Israel one by one and pronounces judgment on them. It's quite a challenging read. I encourage you to read it. And it causes, though, sometimes, many times, us to question the goodness of God because you see very clearly judgment being cast upon people. I want to share with you from Isaiah chapter 13, verses 9 through 11, to get us a taste of what these 11 chapters are. Isaiah chapter 13, verse 9. Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel, with wrath and fierce anger. Don't worry, you're in the right church. To make the land a desolation and to destroy its sinners from it. For the stars of heavens and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be dark at its rising, and the moon will not shed its light. I will punish the world for its evil, and the wicked for their iniquity. I will put an end to the pomp of the arrogant, and lay low, that means to humble, the pompous pride of the ruthless. Well, that makes you feel nice and warm and cuddly, right? Wonderful, exciting scriptures. I think it's important for us to remember a perspective as we go and we read these judgments. That it's important for us to understand that these announcements are not so much an announcement of the doom on the nations as they are an announcement of salvation to Israel if they will trust their Lord. God is saying, all of these are headed to destruction, Israel. Don't trust them. I want you to trust in me, the God of salvation. I want you to follow me. Because if we remember that this letter, this, this prophet Isaiah wrote this and gave this message not to those nations that were out there. They never heard this message unless they heard it secondhand from Israel. This was a message for God's people, for his children. 
And he was telling them, listen, do not trust in them. I want you to trust me. From our sermon last week, we remember that Israel was faced with a very real enemy. They were about to be attacked, and they were scared. And Isaiah said, it's time for you to trust in God. And they said, no, 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 no. The king Ahaz said, no, we're going to trust with Assyria. They're this really powerful nation. They have this strong army. We're going to trust them. Oddly enough, Assyria was a, an enemy of Israel. But in this moment of desperation, they think, okay, I'm not sure if God's going to come through here, so we're going to align with them, and we're going to trust them. We also see, saw last week that that cost them because they trusted them, and it ended up destroying them. That's what they faced in last week, and now we're in this section of Scripture in between King Ahaz and King Hezekiah, and we're in this time here in between. Hezekiah was a really good king, and he's going to trust God, so we got some cool things happening soon. But this is the time in between, and they're still facing these questions. They're still in this time of, of questioning, and they're, they're wondering, is God truly going to deliver us from the worldly rulers around us, the powers that be? Is he still going to save us? Is he going to restore us? As he said in chapter 11, that we're going to be restored. Is he going to do that? And so they are find themselves still in this same predicament. I wonder if you've ever been in a situation where you wondered if God was powerful enough to handle it. I'm not sure if God can handle this. So instead of trusting God, you decide you're going to take care of it yourself and find a solution to the problem on your own. Unfortunately, many times, this leads to more problems. Instead of finding relief, we find ourselves in a heightened sense of desperation. This was Israel. This was where they were. They were continually doubting, doubting if God could. Or Sometimes we think, you know, God can, but we wonder, will God? Sure, I believe He can do this, but I don't know if He will do this. They were wondering if God was going to come through for them. So God was showing them in this section of Scripture the folly of all the other nations. So why were these nations facing judgment? One word answer. This is not password, if you remember that game show. You can only do one word or something like that. That might not be the right one, but anyway, one word. Here's why. Pride. They were facing judgment because of pride. It is the arrogance of the nations that will eventually bring them down. They have exalted themselves in the place of God. They created gods in their own image. That will not endure. We see that in this section of Scripture as well. These chapters warn Israel, do not place your faith in this false hope. I want you to trust in God. The greatest folly of humanity is trying to make God into our image. We were made in His. The greatest folly is pride when we try to make Him into ours. All human pride, and that means self-glory. It doesn't mean being proud of your children or proud of your spouse. That's not that kind of pride. I'm talking about arrogance, the human pride, the self-glory. All of that is under God's judgment. And if Israel is trusting in those nations, then they're going to be without hope. But Israel, God's nation, God's people... If they are trusting in God, they have nothing. Can you say nothing? They have nothing to fear from anyone, any nation of mankind. 
How would you like that? Would you like to live a life truly without fear? I don't mean just getting a bumper sticker that says no fear and putting it on your, on your window of your car. I mean really living a life where you are not afraid. Isaiah chapter 12, verse 2 says this. You can read it along on the screen. It says, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and He has become my salvation. This is actually a verse from last week's sermon. I actually forgot to share that with you last week. I had to confess that at staff meeting on Monday morning. Uh, By the way, staff meeting on Monday morning, we had a wonderful time of prayer. We had prayer requests that people write on the back of the worship folder, and we pray for them. So as you get those, know that we will pray for you on Monday mornings at staff meeting. We would love to do that. So fill that out as God leads you and put it in the offering plate. But we were there, and and we went through this verse, and I confess it in my coughing fit. I was coughing last week, too. And uh, I I just left this verse out, and how wonderful it is. And so I shared the verse with the staff, and and we just worshiped God for being our salvation. And we talked about how we should always trust God. I will trust God. And not be afraid. And this gospel, the gospel of God can be seen in that first verse, that first line of the verse that says, God is my salvation. So the gospel is all about not what we have done for God, is it? The gospel is all about what God has done for us. God is my salvation. We even talked about how this verse is something that we should preach to ourselves often because we're going to find ourselves in times of trouble and we're going to find ourselves... I don't know if I really believe this or not, but I'm going to keep preaching it to myself. I don't know if I trust God. Those times of doubts, that's a natural part of being human. We're going to go through those times of doubts. It is a natural part of our lives, but we need to continually fight those doubts with the truth of God and keep pouring His Word into our hearts. We didn't know how true that was until Monday afternoon after staff meeting. Received a phone call and We received terrible news. One of our dear friends, Sean, had gone in for a test, having pains in his abdomen region. He went in for a CT scan that morning, and at 1 o'clock that afternoon or early afternoon, we get terrible news at the doctor that there is a tumor on his pancreas. It's not the news you want to hear. We went from thinking that there was maybe new meds we need for a, a stomach ulcer, something like that, to possibly getting the most devastating news possible. You know, Sean and Blake are here today, and uh, they've been a highlight of God's grace and a highlight of Connection Church. Let me give you some highlights on them. Sean was baptized the first baptism service ever right here. Hallelujah. Their marriage has been restored. When we met them, the marriage was rocky. They were splitting up, going their separate ways. But God said, "Mm mm-mm, not uh And God held on to them. And their marriage is being restored so much that we are having a party here on October 11th, and we're celebrating God's restoration right here in a vow renewal service. Is that great or what? They have generously helped people in our church who were in need. I won't go into details, but they have generously helped not for glory. And they have been an encouragement to the body of Christ as a whole, to their pastors, 
to their neighbors, to everyone. With all this exciting news ready to go on and happening, the question instinctively asked Monday afternoon and Monday evening was this. Why? Why, God? Why? Why them? Why now? Why would you take such a beautiful story of restoration and mess it up? Monday night, several people from Connection Church came together with Sean and Blake and prayed. People wanted to be there and couldn't be there. You know what they did? They prayed. We called out to God. We confessed our frustration over the situation. We confessed anger. And we asked God to bring healing. That night, there were many people praying for Sean and Blake as they go through this together. Over the course of the week, which may be the longest week ever, the number of people praying for them has increased significantly as friends and fellow Christians from around the country are praying. It feels like a lifetime of information has happened since Monday. It's been crammed into a six-day window. It's been overwhelming for many of us. It's been trying. But this verse has been a reminder throughout the week that we can trust God. Friday morning we were driving to, the, to get the, a biopsy done. I was able to go with Sean and Blake to the hospital that morning and uh, they were taking a sample to see, if it is, uh, to see exactly what it is that we're dealing with. And we're hoping that it won't be cancer. And we're preparing to trust God no matter what the results are. We're driving to the downtown hospital early Friday morning. Why do you have to do this so early? I was so tired. Such a beautiful, sun, sunny fall morning. Notice the, a beam of sunlight reflecting off the World Trade Center, almost upward from the sun. I think it was upward. Beautiful morning. Blake shared something that God reminded her of her Thursday night. She and Sean were praying together. And God reminded her of a, of a saying, of a truth. The saying is this, God won't give you more than you can handle. You ever heard that? God won't give you more than you can handle. Whatever God allows you to go through, He'll strengthen you to endure. You know, there's actually scriptures that, that teach us this and give us the power behind this saying. And they even show us a, a powerful way to remember the truth. And I want to share these scriptures with you today. This is all about trusting God. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. This is the Apostle Paul, and he's writing a letter to the church at Corinth. This is in the very beginning of the letter, too. This is what he says. For we do not want you to be unaware or ignorant. We don't want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. We don't know exactly what it was that he was going through, but we do know that Paul faced a lot of affliction in his lifetime. He says, For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. This is the Apostle Paul. This is the one who saw Jesus in his glory on the road to Damascus and fell down and worshipped him and became one of the greatest influences on Christianity outside of the Jewish world. 
if not the greatest. And he is going through something that is beyond his strength utterly. Scholars, many of them believe that it was so great that he was going through that the thought of death, because he's going to say it in a minute, the thought of death, or he said it right there, he despaired of life itself. So death seems like a relief. This is so much. The burden is so intense that some even believe that he may have been having thoughts of suicide at this moment. It was more than he could handle. The Apostle Paul is going through more than he could handle. He says it was beyond his strength. Many of us, we either are, we have, or we are, or we will go through something that is beyond our strength. It will be more than we can handle. Maybe it's a rebellious child that grows up and goes astray. Maybe it's the death of a loved one. Maybe it's sickness. Maybe it's cancer. Maybe it's another disease. Maybe it's a disability that we're going through. Maybe we're floored by anxieties or depression. Does this mean that God has abandoned us? Does it mean that we're finally getting the punishment that we deserve? Does it mean that we're finally paying for our sins? Why is it that we have to go through these things? Why is it that people go through things that are more than they can bear? Paul tells us in the next verse. Chapter 1, verse 9, he says, Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. We thought it was over. But that, that affliction was to make us rely. Rely means trust. That was to make us trust not in ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. We went through all of that so that we would stop trusting in ourselves and we would trust in the God who raises the dead. Paul tells us why they went through it. These moments that we will go through, they are in our lives to draw us closer to God by trusting Him. Trusting God in these moments goes against our natural inclination. There is a desire to reject God and to resist Him and to let Him know that this is not fair. I shouldn't have to go through this. This is where we need to know the grace and love of God through the good news of Jesus Christ. This is where our thoughts of what we say we believe become a reality. This is where we need to see what it is exactly that Jesus has done for us. For example, this is where we need to know that Jesus has taken our judgment upon Himself at the cross instead of making us face it. So no, we're not facing judgment. Jesus did that for us. Hallelujah? This is where we need to know that even when we were not trusting Him, when we were rebelling, He was still working His plan to bless the whole world through Jesus. Praise God it didn't depend upon us or our forefathers. This is where we need to know that Jesus resisted the temptation to stop trusting the Father at the cross. And He submitted and Jesus said, Not my will, but yours be done. May this cup pass from me, but not my will, but yours be done. And Jesus trusted the Father. 
This is where we need to remind ourselves that Jesus humbled himself to the point of a servant. And he obeyed the Father all the way until he faced death on the cross. He was faithful. This is where we need to remind ourselves that on that first Easter morning, Jesus stopped being dead. And he came back to life. The resurrection. This is where we need to remind ourselves that all those who are trusting in Jesus, we don't have to fear death anymore. Because there is a glorious resurrection awaiting on the day of the Lord. Is that not the best news you've ever heard in your life? This is where we need to remind ourselves that Jesus is preparing the dwelling place for all those who believe. This is where we need to remind ourselves that we will live in prosperity. We will have a clean bill of health. We will live forever in a glorious place that God is going to recreate a new heaven and a new earth forever and ever. Thursday mornings we have prayer in here. Coming through the front gate, it's early. It's 7 a.m. to 8 a.m. Not necessarily the seeker-sensitive time, but it's a, it's a good time for us to get together and, and pray. And we were here this morning, a couple of us, and during the prayer I happened to be looking up and see the stained glass window on the left side, on the bottom, these words. I never saw the words before. And I saw them so clearly because I, I had my glasses on. And it says, I am the resurrection and the life. It's a picture of Jesus up there. Wow, I've never noticed those words before, but how powerful those words are. How that should affect the way I live every day to know that that Jesus is the resurrection. And no matter what happens, there's a resurrection. There is life. Wow, that's good. I'll never look at that stained glass again the same way. And I looked over, I said, what else can I find up there? So I look on the right side, and I see, and it was harder to read. It says, I go to prepare a place for you. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And He has gone before us and He is preparing a place. What hope we have. What hope we have, not because of what we have done, but because of what God has done for us through His Son, Jesus. We can trust God no matter what may happen in this life. We can trust Him. And we can endure by His strength. So the best way for us to say that phrase is this. It's not, God won't allow me to go through anything. Uh, God won't allow me to go through anything I can't handle. But here's how we say it. God won't allow us to go through anything that He can't handle. He won't allow us to go through anything that He won't strengthen us to get through. It's about His strength, church. It's about His faithfulness. It's about Him delivering us. It's about setting our hope not on our faithfulness, but setting our hope on what He has done. It's His power. And we do this by being a people of prayer. You can't say, I'm trusting in God with everything and have a terrible or non-existent prayer life. It doesn't work that way. You're not trusting Him if you're not praying to Him. Paul in the next verse says this, in verse 10. Chapter 1, verse 10. It says, He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope 
that He will deliver us again. And in verse 11, you also must help us. Help us in our affliction. Help us by doing what? What can we, what can we do, Paul? Can we, we rally the truth? We're going to come and rescue you and, and get you out of there and get you the best medical help. We're going to do all this stuff. No. Paul, what do you want us to do? You must help us by what? Prayer. You must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing God granted us through the prayers of many. We were praying Monday evening. I think the last one to prayer to pray started off a beautiful prayer. Oh, it was a powerful moment of prayer. She said, I don't know what it is that I have to bring to the table, but I want to join in. I don't know why, God, you would want to listen to me, but I'm going to ask for this. And I love the prayer. I love the humility in that. But I love the fact that we can say that, recognizing that we are in desperate need of, who, um, of God, no matter who we are. But we are someone when we are a child of God. And we have a power to pray. We can do something. We must be a people of prayer. The trust that we have in God is directly related to the time we spend in prayer to Him. The trust we have in God is directly related to the time that we spend praying to Him. If we're not communicating with Him through prayer, then we're not placing our trust in Him We are called to help each other through prayer. Connection Church, let's be a people of prayer. Let's be a people that no matter what comes our way, no matter what burdens, what afflictions we go through together, we remain trusting in the faithfulness of God. We'll have times of doubts. And you should know this is a safe place for you to do that. It's not easy. We believe something that's so audacious. A guy was dead. First of all, he was born by a virgin. He lived a perfect life. He never sinned. That usually gets all of us right now. It's not believing. He died. And he didn't stay dead, but he lived. I mean, he... Sorry. He resurrected from the dead. And after this resurrection, he was able to kind of go in and out of rooms even. He was a different person, a resurrected body. And after this, he ascended to heaven. And then he sent a Holy Spirit to indwell us. It's a fantastic story, right? It's not easy to believe. So this is a place to doubt. This is a place to ask questions. But this is a place where you will be encouraged every time to keep your trust in God because God is trustworthy. God is the God of all nations. He is the sovereign over all. And we will be a people of prayer. Next week, we get results from the the biopsy that was taken. We are praying boldly that God would bring healing. Amen? That's what we're praying. We're going to continue praying this way, not because we are worthy of God's favor, but because God is trustworthy and Jesus is worthy. And so we're going to pray in Jesus' name. We're praying for Jesus to be glorified in Sean and Blake's life. And we thank God that He already is. Grace is abounding. And people are learning to love Jesus in great ways through them. 
even if the news isn't what we want to receive, we will remind ourselves and we will remind each other to trust God. We are going to trust God. On the screen, I want to put up Isaiah chapter 12, verse 2. And if this is your prayer, if this is a verse you agree with, I want you to say it with me. And let it become our prayer. That this would be something that we would preach to ourselves. That we would rally around, that we would see the trustworthiness of God. Let's read this together. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and He has become my salvation. Connection, church, God is the master of all nations. It is foolish to trust in anything or anyone else. God will never give us more than He can handle. So let's keep trusting God for one reason. He's trustworthy. Let's pray. Father, we come to you now and we ask that you would make this prayer evident in our life. Make it real to us. Help us, God, with the ability and the strength to trust you. Help us to humble ourselves before you. God, give us the discipline to continually preach to ourselves that we will trust you and we will not be afraid. Remind us of the gospel that you are our salvation. Remind us that we have hope no matter what this world throws at us. God, remind us that our divine purpose is to live in a way that brings honor and glory to you, our sovereign, our creator, our sustainer, our redeemer, the prince of peace, the king of kings, the lord of lords, the author of life, the sustainer of life. You are worthy. May we be a people who continually and stubbornly trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We have a time now in worship where we can humble our hearts before the Lord and say, God, how do you want to use me? How do you want to teach me to trust you? I hear this great story of this couple in this church that's trusting you um, despite hard times. I see in Scripture where Paul had such trust and faith in you. But how can I trust? How can I have faith? I ask myself that, time, that question sometimes. And the answer is always very simple. The answer is humility. Just like the answer to why are the nations judged was pride, the answer to how can I trust is humility. So right now you have the opportunity to humble yourself before the Lord. We're going to have a time of response. And there's, there's two ways that you can respond tonight. Um, there's some pads up here that we would um, love for you to come and if you would like to physically humble yourself before the Lord and kneel down in prayer. We're also going to be receiving communion. So whether you'd like to kneel down before or after communion is fine. You can stand up and turn around and receive communion. But communion is about humbling yourself before the Lord because he has displayed to you and to I and to myself the ultimate act of humility when he hung himself on the cross 
after he prayed that prayer, Daniel just repeated, Lord, take this cup from me, but whatever your will be done. So tonight, you can come forward, and there's going to be a plate of bread and uh, two cups. You take, a pl- you take a piece of bread, and it will be spoken to you. This is Christ's body, which is broken for you. As you hear those words, remember that it was important for the great high priest to become our sacrifice. And you step over to the cup, and you can dip the bread in the cup of your choice. One is juice, and one is wine. And it will be spoken to you. This is the blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for you. The old covenant pointed at you and at me and said, you are a sinner. You have fallen away from the good that I have created. And the blood of the new covenant says, I will wash you as white as snow. Come back, sinner, and be cleansed. So as you experience that in communion, celebrate that the one who says, trust in me, is trustworthy, even to the point of death on a cross. I'll pray, and then uh, I would invite you to stand and respond in this time as God has called you as we sing. Heavenly Father, you are good, and we trust that you work all things together for the good of those who are called according to you. You work cancer for your glory. You work my pride for your glory. You work joblessness, homelessness, financial hard times, hunger, temptation. You work those things together. And when we trust in you, despite our circumstances, you will receive glory and honor and will perform miracles in our lives. We love you. We praise you for the gospel. The news that although the creation has fallen in sin, you have sent us a redeemer in Jesus. And so tonight, Lord, we respond by coming to the table and by receiving the gift of the new covenant in faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together and sing this song, and you respond how God has called you.